Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm the, the privilege of being the pastor here at Grace Fellowship and uh, so grateful that you could be with us here today to worship, to gather with us. Thank you to our music team and uh, to Tim and to Josh and to Zach for, for leading us in worship. We've been working our way through... Uh, Luke's Gospel, this is the third account of the life of Jesus in the Bible. It's the longest. It's written by a man named Luke, hence Luke's Gospel. And what we're, uh, what we're seeing is uh, Jesus has been making a long roundabout journey to the city of Jerusalem. In fact, just before the passage that we're going to read today, uh, Jesus tells his disciples for the third time what's going to happen when he gets there. That when uh, he gets to Jerusalem, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. That's the the ruling, uh, the people who were occupying Israel at the time, the Romans. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit on. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So that's... That's what's in store for Jesus. That's the finish line he's looking to cross. Uh, And um, probably most telling is that uh, his closest friends, those he was traveling with, says in verse uh, 34 that they didn't understand any of these things. They didn't get it. Which is interesting because we're about to meet two people when we read today. We're going to meet two people who did get it. They, they saw uh, Jesus. In fact, uh, as, we're, as Jesus is nearing Jerusalem, Luke has given us a few accounts. We started a couple of week, weeks ago uh, where Jesus told us the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, of what it looks like to approach Jesus, how, how to come to God and how not to come to God. And then last week, uh, well, and then after that, we saw how Jesus welcomed the children, that their dependency, their neediness is what exactly what qualified them for His kingdom. Then last week we saw him confront the rich young ruler uh, who was unable to part uh, with his love of money uh, and it would leave him outside of the kingdom. Uh, Today we're going to meet two more people who encounter Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. And so let's let's give our attention to God's word. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 18 verse 35. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please grab the one that's there in the, the chair in front of you. It should be on page 878. Luke writes uh, that as he, that is Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. It's a fancy way of saying he was short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word for us. Let's ask for His help in understanding it and applying it to our lives. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that through Your Word, You would show us Jesus. That we would see ourselves in the blind man. That we would see ourselves in Nicodemus. And that we would see You, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes. Open our hearts to understand and believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a, a Boy Scout when I was younger, and we would uh, we would go on camping trips, usually one weekend a month. And probably one of my, my favorite times is when we would we would usually get there on Friday night after it was dark, and so we would uh, we'd unload the bus in the dark. We would set up our tents and our kitchens and all that kind of stuff. We would we would do all of that in the dark, our pro, just by propane lamp or by flashlight. Uh, and so one of my favorite things was the the next morning when you would open up the tent. And you could actually see the place that you had been all over the night before, and it was always it was always this kind of uh, it was always this, this kind of cool experience to me that for the first time they say, oh. Uh, I could see the direction, right? I could see the, the creek we'd camp next to. I could see the trees. Uh, everything came into clear vision. Even though we'd walked around and, and set up camp, we'd been around the whole campsite and in the woods the night before, it actually looked new when you could actually see it. It was, uh, it was a whole together different experience when you saw it for the first time. Uh, and these two meetings, uh, that these two encounters with Jesus that we just read about, uh, show us what it means to truly see Jesus. Now, if you noticed how much seeing Jesus matters in this passage, uh, first, of course, you have the blind man, and uh, he wants to see again. That's what it literally means when he says he wants to recover his sight. He says, Lord, I want to see again. And Jesus tells him, see again. Uh, and then we see that Zacchaeus is seeking to see Jesus. Uh, so sight is what this passage is all about, what it means to see Jesus. 
And so I just want to walk through these two encounters, these two meetings uh, with Jesus. Uh, First, we're going to talk about the clear sight of the blind man, the clear sight of the blind man. Mark's Gospel uh, names him Bartimaeus. So we'll call him Blind Bart. Sounds like a pirate name. Uh, Blind Bart. And, uh, And Blind Bart shows us what faith looks like. Uh, He gives us a visual representation of faith. Now, we need to define that word faith because it's an overused word. It's been washed out of all of its meaning. And we've done this before, but uh, faith literally means to trust. Uh, to trust in something, right? So if I'm going to have faith in a chair, I have to sit down in the chair. When people join our church, one of the questions we ask is, do you receive and rest upon Christ alone? Right? I love that. I love the visual imagery of that phrase, to rest upon. That's, that's what faith is, is the resting upon. Faith is, we could say that faith is the open hand. That receives God's gift. And we find out later that this is not really the point of the passage, but later on we see in Ephesians 2 that even that faith, even that open hand is a gift from God. But Blind Bart shows us what faith looks like. He's sitting by the roadside begging, because he's blind, so this would have been uh, his normal day, normal course of action. Uh, and, and he hears a crowd coming by. He hears a, a, much larger, uh, a much larger amount of traffic than usual. This is clearly a large crowd coming by, and so it prompts him to ask, what's going on? Uh, what is this that I'm hearing? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Now, what Bart says next is incredibly important. Because it shows that Bartimaeus sees Jesus more clearly than all of the people in that crowd who could physically see him. Bartimaeus acknowledges something about Jesus that many around him are overlooking. And it's captured in that phrase, Son of David. Son of David. Now, he's introduced as Jesus of Nazareth. But Bartimaeus doesn't call him that. He calls him the Son of David. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why does that matter? Because Son of David was a phrase, was a title for the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. That, that this, this hero king, God's chosen one, who was going to come and set everything right. He would be a, a son of David. And no doubt Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus. Uh, clearly he's familiar with the tales of Jesus, even though Jesus has never been to his city. Maybe he's heard about the miracles that Jesus has done. Maybe he's heard some of the things that Jesus has taught. Maybe he even heard about what what Jesus said. We looked at it back in Luke 4 uh, when Jesus read from Isaiah's uh, prophecy about the Messiah. In Isaiah 61, uh, it says that this Messiah would bring sight to the blind. And so, maybe Bartimaeus is putting two and two together and he's saying, wait a second, the Messiah brings sight to the blind. 
Uh, in fact, after Jesus had read that part, that scroll of Isaiah, he said, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. In no uncertain certain terms, Jesus said, What I just read about proclaiming good news and bringing sight to the blind, that's about me. However it is that Bartimaeus has come to this conclusion, when he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, he says, Son of David, the Messiah, the Chosen One, someone who can actually help me. And so, when this blind man hears that this same Jesus is passing by, he actually sees Jesus for what He is. And, that, and that's ironic because the very people who walked with Jesus, we just, I just read that for you before, before, I, uh, before I read the main passage, the very people who walked with Jesus did not yet see Him. But here's a blind man who has no physical sight, but he can see Jesus. He can see that Jesus is the one who will have mercy on him. And that's exactly what he cries out. He cries out, have mercy on me. Now, uh, this is a theme that's recurring uh, in Luke, but even especially in these encounters, that this man knows his need. And it's a theme that I want to repeat again, that not only does faith approach God with an open hand, but it approaches God with an empty hand. This man knows that he brings nothing to the table. This man knows that the only thing he can ask for is mercy. And this is, I think, where the disabled can teach us so much about what it means to draw near to God. And I think it's also why the disabled make so many of us so uncomfortable. Because in the disabled we see need Neediness, desperation. We see what's lacking in it. Uh, for those of us who are self-assured and, and confident and have it all together, to see someone who is needy makes us, I think, without even realizing it, subconsciously know that we don't have it all together. And so, this blind brother cries out. He Of course, his job is to rely totally on the kindness of others to survive. And so he cries out to Jesus, not once, but twice. Right? He cries out the first time, and and the crowd shushes him, right? No, 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 no. Jesus, be silent. Right? We'll give you some money later. Jesus doesn't have time to stop for you. But he he will not be silent. He shouts. The word here is used of animal cries. This man is so desperate. He shouts, Son of David, have mercy on me. And see the compassion of Jesus. Jesus stops. And He calls for the man to be brought to Him and says, What do you want me to do for you? And the man says, Lord, I want to see again. And what does Jesus say? See again. And the man sees again. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Now this is an interesting word here. Because the word is usually the word that that, that our Bibles translate save. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Now that could mean that he's been rescued from his blindness. Which is why our Bibles translate it the way that they do. But I think there's more going on here. 
in seeing Jesus for what He really was, in coming to Jesus with that open and empty hand, Jesus says, you are saved. You are rescued from your sin. Your faith has saved you. And then look at His response. Once He's healed, in verse 43, He follows. But the salvation of Jesus demands a response. This man, this man follows Jesus. Blind Bart becomes what we would call a disciple. Having been rescued by Jesus, he then begins following Jesus and praising God. So God's work in this man's life leads to joy and devotion. How much more should it be the same for us? But if we know that God has been at work in our lives, if we know that we have, what we have been rescued from, then our response ought to be that of blind Bart. Joy. Joyful following and devotion. Well, that's the clear side of the blind, how Bart shows us what faith looks like. Now let's look at the glad response of the greedy, the, the second encounter with Jesus. And there's some similarities between this encounter and the last, but there's also some glaring differences. The main one being that Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus come from two opposite ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. Bartimaeus was a poor, blind, needy beggar. He knew his need. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, uh, was a rich man. Uh, He was a rich man because he was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors uh, have never been popular. Um, That's not a popular profession. Nobody likes the tax man, okay? But in Jesus' day, they were doubly disliked, not only because they took people's money, and usually they were extorting people. They were taking more than they were supposed to, uh, and using their position, their political affiliation to do it. Uh, But they were also seen as traitors because they were affiliated with the Roman government. And so, uh, and not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So not only does he get his cut, but he also gets a cut of everybody who works for him. So he's not just any old bureaucrat, he is a high-level bureaucrat. Okay? So that's Zacchaeus. And as we see in verse 7, he's not popular with his neighbors. They know him to be a sinner. But he is curious about Jesus. Look in verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. We don't really know his motives. Uh, We don't know why he's curious about Jesus. Clearly he's heard something. But he wants to see. And he can't see because the crowd is big and he is small. And so this man is curious enough to to, to run ahead of the parade and climb up in a tree which would have been juvenile behavior for a grown man. Grown men didn't run, and they certainly didn't climb trees. Uh, But Zacchaeus does both so that he can see Jesus. Something about Jesus compels him to ignore social custom to get a glance. And of course, Zacchaeus gets way more than a glance. Because the parade approaches, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is standing underneath Zacchaeus' tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down. I must, I need to stay at your house today. 
not, I'd like to stay at your house, or I'd like to just pop in for a minute, but I need to stay at your house today. Now, like every wife uh, in the room goes, no, you can't just invite yourself over. That's terrible, right? Um, was, this, was this normal? Was this customary in Jesus' day? Absolutely not. If anything, it was even more uncustomary, if that's even a word, in Jesus' day, right? You didn't just invite yourself over. You didn't just walk through the door. But Jesus doesn't care. He wants Zacchaeus. You see, uh, Zacchaeus was seeking to get a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. And he was going to get his man. And so, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And it says that Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. Once again, joy is the response of meeting Jesus. Now, if Bartimaeus models what faith looks like, then I would argue Zacchaeus models what repentance looks like. That word repentance, it means to turn or to turn around. And in the... Uh, religious or biblical sense, it means to turn from the sin you were doing, to turn, as Josh so, said so well in his prayer, to turn from the idols of your heart and turn back to God. That's repentance and faith. So I think Zacchaeus models repentance for us. How? Well, look at how he look at how he responds. Look at his glad response to Jesus in verse eight. He says, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Now, uh, just go ahead and take some personal stock. Uh, estimate, if you will, your net worth. We're, uh, uh, we're actually a fairly diverse church socioeconomically. We have some uh, who would be considered very wealthy, uh, and we have some uh, who are not very wealthy, right? Some who would even be on government assistance, and then probably most fall in the middle. So the, the economic makeup of our church would be a bell curve, okay? But wherever you fall on that spectrum, go ahead and just formulate how, how much do I have in the bank? If I, if, I, if I own property, how much is my property? Right, That would be your net worth. All of your assets put together. Go ahead and just kind of estimate what that figure would be in your head. And then imagine saying, I'll give half of it away. Right? This man, gladly, because he has met Jesus, gladly chooses to give away 50% of what he has. Now, I'm assuming he could still survive on that. This is not a... Uh, Zacchaeus, is, Zacchaeus is not saying you have to give away 50% of what you have if you know Jesus. But what, it, but what it does show us is that Zacchaeus is a changed man. His heart has been transformed. He goes on to say, and if I've defrauded anyone... Now, I'm not going to get into the grammar of it, but Zacchaeus is basically admitting to stealing. So we can say, whatever I have stolen from others, I restore it four times over. Which is exactly what the law required of you to do. Like Jewish law, if you, if you stole from someone, Jewish law required you to restore it times four. Okay? So Zacchaeus says, whatever I've stolen, I'll pay, back, I'll pay it back four times over. I deserve that. 
Right? He, he gladly submits himself to the penalty of the law. Now, what I want you to see in that and why I think this is a model of a turning is that, is that Zacchaeus becomes a new man. Seeing Jesus transforms Zacchaeus. And this greedy tax collector becomes the glad giver. And he does so not out of a sense of sour obligation, but because he's met someone of superior worth. Because Jesus is more than all of his wealth combined. And it is an interesting last week we heard Jesus say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. And of course the disciples of Jesus, when they hear that, they respond with, well then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible. Uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then looky here. Jesus does the impossible by drawing a camel through the eye of a needle. By rescuing a rich man from his enslavement to his possessions. And the way we see that is how Zacchaeus is ready to give them away. Now, it's two very different men with two very different motives for seeing Jesus. But what what do they have in common? And this is... This is where we'll close. What they have in common is the infinite grace of the seeker. The infinite grace of the seeker. The most important person we see in this passage is not Bartimaeus, it's not Zacchaeus, it's Jesus himself. And once again, we see that the crowd sees Jesus, but not really. They want to quiet the blind man who cries out for mercy. They grumble at the thought that this Jesus would go in and stay at a sinner's house. So they see Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. Jesus says in verse 10, I have come to seek and to save the lost. So who's the seeker here? Not Bartimaeus. Not Zacchaeus, it's Jesus. And who has he come to seek? The lost, needy beggars, greedy tax collectors. The infinite grace of the seeker is wide, and he beckons all to come. His offer is wide and is open to all who will admit that they are lost and they need to be saved. Listen to this hymn uh, written by Ora Rowan in the 1800s called Hast Thou Heard Him, Seen Him, Known Him. It says this, What has stripped the seeming beauty from the idols of the earth? Not a sense of right or duty, but the sight of peerless worth. Not the crushing of those idols with its bitter void and smart, but the beaming of His beauty, the unveiling of His heart. Captivated by His beauty, 
worthy tribute haste to bring. Let His matchless worth constrain thee. Crown Him unrivaled King. Have you seen Jesus really? If not, I hope you see Him, have seen Him this morning, that you come to Him and are saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, that we would wash and delight in Your infinite grace. That we would see that the scales of our eyes would fall away as they did for Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts. That maybe even for the first time we see who Jesus is. That the beauty of His heart is unveiled to us. And that we are captivated by His beauty and we bring worthy tribute. Whether that tribute is the loud song of a blind beggar with nothing else to give or a depth of generosity that we could not even fathom. Lord, would we reveal Yourself to our hearts that we may be saved, rescued. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.